For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. It's time for the Apostle Paul to bring his first letter to the Thessalonians to a close. He leaves them with a list of exhortations designed to keep the congregation living in God's peace. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, The Ideal Church. Here we are uh, this morning finishing up the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. And so we have gone verse by verse through a very inspiring epistle is a fancy word for letter, uh, where we've learned all about the rapture of the church, the second coming, awesome, how we should live in light of uh, that grand appearance of, of Jesus uh, soon to be. And so now the Apostle Paul is getting ready to sign off, and we're going to take a look at that passage in chapter 5. And so you can put your finger there, and we will eventually get there. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit who's present among us, who lives in our hearts as Christians, Lord, that he would just bring a sense of calm over us and an opportunity to gather our thoughts and make our hearts receptive and open to what God has to say. You have brought each person here. Everything happens for a reason under your kingdom, Lord, that you are in charge of where we are you brought us together to hear these words. So may we get the, the, the most out of this time, hearing the truth, put it into practice so we can be blessed. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever wondered what makes an ideal church? Well, in this morning's passage, uh, we are going to get some clues about that. Paul is wrapping up his letter, as I mentioned, to a young church there, one of the first ones in Europe. It's in modern-day Greece, Thessalonica. Uh, he's wrapping up the letter by setting some pretty high ideals for what constitutes Christian behavior. Now, uh, the general topic of the book has been how to live to please God in light of what's coming, and how to do that, how to do life together as a family of God. That's something you cannot miss in 1 Thessalonians, because he mentions brothers and sisters 15 times in five chapters. Six of those times are in the closing words. So he's really pointing out that through Christ, God is our Father, and we share in his love and his call and his purposes together. So how does the family of God do life together while we're waiting for that great rescue for his son from heaven to rescue us from the coming wrath? How do we live as he's been calling us children of the day, sons and daughters of light? How do we do that? Well, he says, hey, there, there are ideals to shoot for. And so really what I hear him saying is uh, that the ideal church depends upon the quality of the lives and the relationships that make up the church or the congregation. Not often do we think in terms like that. I mean, uh, what, what makes a church great? It's the quality of the people that make up the church because the church isn't about the place. The church, biblically speaking, is you and me. 
and us together as the family of God. So with that, here we go. He's going to close out his letter now, uh, picking up with verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, there it is again, and it always means brothers and sisters, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't put the Spirit's fire out. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. Now, then there's a paragraph. It's called a benediction or a blessing. So at the end of the teaching of the exhortations, then we'll stand together and read the blessing or the benediction together. But our, our uh, aim is to uh, study the passage before us now. Uh, the ideal church, here it is. I mean, if you live by these ideals you will have an ideal congregation. And so uh, I think that the passage before us divides quite nicely in three thoughts, okay? First of all, for the ideal church, there, be, there, there needs to be a mutual love and respect between leaders and the congregation. Uh, secondly, uh, there needs to be peace in the pews, all right? Uh, and uh, we'll be talking about that. <laughs> And thirdly, there needs to be, well, peace in one's own individual heart, peace with God, and, and, and I would say a zeal. He's calling for that each member keeps their heart aflame for God personally. Like, you're responsible to come to church and be a member of the church, uh, taking care of your business between you and God. So you come burning bright for him, and that will bring out uh, the ideal uh, church and congregation, the way that God wants us to be. Well, let's dive in then to the first uh, gentle request, brothers and sisters here, uh, to appreciate and respect their leaders who work hard to provide for them the spiritual care. And we've isolated those verses for our focus, right? So here we go. Um, love and respect. Um, the there are chapters full, chapters full of how leaders, pastors, elders, or overseers are all used the same word in the New Testament. How pastors, we, that's the word we use, it, it means overseer or elder or leader, right? Uh, chapters worth of information in the Bible about how leaders are to treat the people in the church. Chapters. But there are only a few passages about how the sheep are supposed to be treating the pastors or the shepherd. Same word, pastor and shepherd. They come from the same Greek word, actually. So why is that? Well, it seems to me that if the shepherds are doing their God-given tasks, obeying the chapters full of exhortations of how to lead with humility and a servant's heart, and to put others before our own needs, to be not hypocrites, 
and not perfect, who can be perfect, but to be an authentic, born-again Christian with a love of God who is called 17 qualifications for the pastorate, for a leader. In 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and 1 Peter 5. If you add up the qualifications, you'll get 17 of them. And that person better fit those things. Now, if a person is called and fits those 17 things, and God has put them to care for the congregation, and they're serving and coming under and caring and have genuine love and work hard and do all the things that God expects for the people he says who he bought with his own blood, then quite naturally, there's nobody, you don't need to tell somebody how to appreciate or value somebody like that. Right, And so uh, there are a couple scriptures. We hit upon the other one. We call it a companion text. Is a text that is just very similar to it. Hebrews 13 has a text that's just like this. And why is it there? It's there because the leaders there are young. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Secundus. And uh, there's, another, there's another pastor I want to say Artaxerxes because it sounds like that, but that's a king from Persia, so that's not the right one. Uh, but uh, these two young guys are there, and they have been given charge, and, and are they perfect? Probably not. Uh, Acts chapter 20 tells us their names, uh, and so we know these young men are good, reliable guys, but you know they're, they're young. It's a young church. And maybe they need a little polish, something, you know. So uh, there is some possibly relational difficulties with some, right? And so there's a call to, hey, listen, if you're going to have a good, effective ministry, you're going to have to have peace between the congregation and those who are called uh, to lead. So let's look at it further. Here's a call for Pastor's Appreciation Day in Thessalonica, all right? So more than that, Paul would say, no, excuse me, I I think that that's what God requires, the sentiment of that year long. Uh, And and so what prompted these words? We've already talked about that, uh, but I'll tell you what, staring at you in the text are two clues of why the congregation, some of them, might need to hear, hey, listen, you need to love and value them for the work that they're doing. And we're gonna, you're going to see if you can find uh, them. So Aristarchus, yeah, <laughs> and Secundus, right? They're good, responsible guys. So it certainly wasn't their hard work uh, that might have been off-putting to some because everybody respects hard work, right? Long hours, a dedicated pastor like that. And so, uh, by the way, what God calls all pastors to is hard work, and the word there is toil. And it, it is for manual labor, for digging ditches. And the word picture is strained muscles and sweat, to break a sweat. And the Lord in the New Testament uses that word, work hard, uh, for preaching and teaching and praying and ministering, discipling, managing God's household, they call it, or the gathering or the church. And so, yeah, they're working hard. They visit the sick. 
They, they check in on those incarcerated. They share the gospel. They're counseling troubled uh, souls and marriages and family. They're discipling, raising up and training. They're overseeing ministries. They're administrating uh, financially. They are marrying and they are burying and they are baptizing and they are evangelizing. Now he's saying the work in itself is a call for your value. Value the hard work he's saying. Now, they do work hard. Now, the word to respect there, very interesting, it's to know. Now, it means to see and understand the labor-intensive call upon those men's lives. And, and by knowing what they're doing and what they struggle with, you come to appreciate and value them in love. That's the call for respect. Well, what was the challenge to that? Why were they needing to, hey, guys, kind of be prompted a little bit? Well, the Lord had placed Aristarchus and Secundus in a very vulnerable place. There's a preposition. He placed them over them in the Lord. There was some spiritual authority and, and that was a delegation from the Lord. And that is probably a little bit of what could have rubbed some people the wrong way there. Here's what one commentator wrote about this passage. It says, And though the whole world has a well-structured flow of authority from God in every facet of life, business, government, home, it doesn't mean that we like having to comply and to come under God's delegated authorities wherever you find them. So, for example, whether it's the barista who tells you, excuse me, this is the pickup line, all right? You don't order here, you know, and you're like, <laughs> you know, you could have told me that about five minutes ago, or, or how you speak. You know, that makes all the difference in the world. And, and for some people, it just doesn't matter. We don't like to be told you're in the wrong line. Well, you know what? Uh, we need to get over it. Now, <laughs> oh, how many of you like it when the police officer exerts his authority? How fast were you actually going? He wants to know. And what are you all smiles? Well, let me tell you. Thank you for stopping me, first of all. I'm so pleased to meet you. My name's Ross. What's your name? Oh, I see. I could badge number. No. <laughs> okay. Or whether it's a husband trying to lead. God told him, listen, man. I, I'm judging you for this marriage. When, when we stand, when you see my face, I'm looking to you. I'm going to hold you accountable for what went down here, ultimately. Yeah, so he starts to say, hey, uh, you know what? <laughs> I want to start leading. And, and that's not always well received. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Or, you know, so that's what's going on here. So um, coming under isn't always easy. And so that word over you in the Bible's term is the way Jesus used it. He said, you're not to be like the world with authority. When I give you authority, it's very different from the world. It's servant authority. Paul said that to the Corinthians, Hey, God's given me authority not to berate you and tear you down, but to build you up. So God's over is really under. 
So you come under, you know, and you humble yourself and, and, and you lift up. You're not lifted up. You're lifted. The goal is to lift the other person up and to inspire and to help them. Let me, Peter had his had a very eloquently put it in chapter five of his first epistle. Be shepherds, the word poemen, it means to pastor or to feed. Be shepherds, pastor of God's flock that is under your care. That's the sense of being over because you're responsible to care for them. Serving as, there it is again, overseers. Not because you have to, but because you're willing and God wants you to be, right? Not doing it for a job, you know. That's not the reason anybody's called to the ministry. But eager to serve, and that word means to wait tables, to be a waiter, right? So this is the authority you have, is to use that authority to be a very good waiter. How can I help you? How can I serve you? That's your authority, right? And you're managing the Restaurant, I guess, if you want to call it that. But being examples to the flock. Love this. Not lording it over. That means not using your authority to boss people around and be rude and aggressive and proud and arrogant. Hey, I'm the pastor. You give me a hard time? You know, I'll, I'll bring out my gun. <laughs> oh, perfect timing for that. Yeah, yeah. So that's this is just how the Holy Spirit saves people. This is God's plan. He puts pastors in charge of a gathering called the church and holds them responsible. Not to boss them around, but to wait on them and serve them and wash their feet kind of thing, right? Uh, let, let me show you this. Acts. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders this is the way it rolls. I mean, elders are, pastors are appointed for every church. They appointed elders for them in each church. Every church had a pastor in the New Testament. All right? The reason I left you in Crete, he tells Titus, was that you might straighten some stuff out with your authority, which was left unfinished, and appoint elders, pastors, overseers, in every town, as I directed you. And then, I love this verse, and the Lord added to the church of Jerusalem, the local church, not talking about the church at large, which it, it applies to that, but daily, those who are being saved. So what do we deduce from this? If you get saved, you're added to a church. Always, 100% of the time, every single time in the Bible. And every single saved person added to the church Every single one has a pastor. Every single one. Now, you know, all of this pushback in American contemporary society, I could be a Christian and I don't have to. Well, there's a list of all your I don't have tos, but just let me tell you, to be biblical, God does not recognize a Christian without a church that he adds them to that doesn't have a pastor over them. 100% of the time. So you, that is the biblical structure of how God saves. And so he's saying, listen, this isn't some guy's idea to, to get up in the pulpit and start doing this thing. This is Secundus and Aristarchus, thank you for the slide, have been called of God because this is how God, he's got a structure. And this is how the Holy Spirit rolls. Now, a lot of people say, 
The Holy Spirit has made us all equal. Of course, we're all equal. Of course, we all have value, but we have different gifts and roles, which we will answer to God for our stewardship of them. Why did he say in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and Christ gave some as pastors and teachers to equip God's people for works of service. So if you're sitting around the living room with an open Bible or under a palm tree having devotions, it's just not church. It isn't biblical church. Where's the elder? Where's the church? Where's the corporate worship? If you want to be biblical, right? The funniest thing in the world to me is to say, oh, I like organic church, to go back to the beginning. Oh, you're nailed if you say that with me, because I've got a Bible and I know how to use it. <laughs> I'll take you back to organic. I'll take you back to meeting in a structure with elders who are handling the money and all kinds of things. There was structure and form and meeting times and a building. You mean you're going back to the organic early church? If you go back there, you've got a building, you've got offerings, you've got a structure, you've got deacons and elders, you've got church government. That's early church. Amen? Amen? All right. I digress. <laughs> so let's move on. Christ put those two men there. They're working hard to fulfill his call, serving you. So show them a little respect. Now, time to boast about the rock. All right. The rock congregation could train and give seminars teaching other congregations the truth of these scriptures. You guys are unbelievable. Constantly, all of the pastors here, there are three beside myself, we are always being affirmed, prayed for, supported, blessed, thanked, crazy all the time. People come up to me, that Pastor Adam, Oh, he is so, my kids love him. He's so smart. He knows the Bible so well. And you know, he handles situations with such tact and diplomacy. Then, then Pastor Carlin, a mom, oh, lots of moms. When I hand off my kids to Pastor Carlin and I see Jeanette there, I just breathe a great big sigh of relief because they're so loving and Carlin dots every I and crosses every T. And now all God's people said, that is him. All right. He's busy right now, dotting an I and crossing a T. Right? But his love for the kids, he just like glows. And then they get to Jim. <laughs> Let's say, good thing that guy didn't go to Hollywood because he's so good looking. I had, you know, once he started preaching, I had people coming up to me. Hey, you better watch your job. You better watch your job. That janitor can preach, you know. He started as the church janitor. And then we recognized the calling to just kind of file down some rough edges. <laughs> I let him preach once to me in the early days before you ever heard him. And I sat in the front row with a clipboard. <laughs> oh, so much fun. <laughs> Oh, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, you better watch your job. First of all, he doesn't want my job, right? That's why he's still here. <laughs> and me? I can't. Uh, all the affirmation I get here, 
I can't even get my fat head inside the car after a Sunday morning after you guys have pumped it up so big. I kind of have to ignore you. After the first three, I'm like, okay, I get it, I get it, okay, I get it. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, you know? Come on, you guys. Somebody tells me at the New, new to the Rock luncheon, I love this church, I'm here. Oh, she goes, I walked in this place, it was different. She says, I have a journal. 16 people greeted me my first Sunday. She said, that's unheard of. Hey, praise the Lord. I mean, that's just over the top, this place. You know, I've said this before. We don't deserve you. We don't deserve you. I hear pastors talking. I hear them and all of their troubles. My heart, my first thing, I said, just, oh, oh, I wish I could. First of all, I wish I could go to your church. And, and give me a couple Sundays. <laughs> straighten things out for you, you, you know? But, oh, I wish you could come. I wish Aristarchus and Secundus could have just come for a couple months and just pastor here. You know, we'll take care of you. And, and that's what, it's, what it is. And so, you know, you don't need to be told. You could teach others. And that's why I think this church is uh, really blessed, to tell you the truth. Now, uh, it wasn't the only problem that they were over. It, was what, it wasn't uh, that they had the authority. What was rubbing them the wrong way in their text is what God wanted them to do with their authority, and that word is admonish. Let me tell you about that word. That word is a negative word, and it means to warn against bad behavior and its consequences. Oh, well, of course. Anybody who gets corrected in a sensitive area from Secundus is going to not really feel warm, fuzzy, you know, the value and love and respect somebody who just came alongside him and did a little one of these, you know, yeah, you know, and that's what the word means. It means to correct or rebuke or reprove or to reprimand. Now, usually your word there, admonish, is not used by itself when it describes pastoral duties because it's a negative word. And pastoral duties is teaching and admonishing or encouraging and admonishing. And you'll find that they all, it always comes in pairs. Why solo here? Oh, that's to tell us what is the problem, the source of the prompt to respect and love anyway even though they have to correct you and hurt your feelings once in a while and say something you didn't really want to hear but needed to hear. Oh, tell me about it. I mean, the story of being, and not just us, it's not just the pastors who are supposed to admonish one another. Brothers and sisters in the Lord are supposed to do the same. Do you know how hard it is to tell a guy, hey, listen, now that you're saved, I know you're living with your girlfriend. So, hey, I've been meaning to talk to you. You know, Christians, we, we wait until we save vows and we pledge our lives together. And, and then we come together and have the honeymoon afterwards. And so what would probably be best is just that you, for the respect of the girl and your newfound faith, and everybody watching you and hearing that you're a Christian, you ought to just move out. 
You think that's happy news? <laughs> it's not happy news all the time. Uh, or you tell somebody, you know, word has gotten back to me, ma'am, that you're just talking a lot. You're talking about this person. And, and, and you're stumbling other people by what you're saying about that person. Now, I, you know, you need to, first of all, apologize to the person. And then you need to go to the people you've spoken ill of her too, and apologize. That's called an admonishment. And Secundus and Aristarchus need to be loved even though they had the guts and the courage to do what God told them to do because they're going to stand before God and God's going to say, hey, were you aware that there was sexual immorality or somebody gossiping and destroying people's lives by their mouths and you did nothing? What do you think I put you there for? Oh, I don't want to hear that. Now, how you talk and how you approach situations, that's the chapters full of stuff to guard us from, from doing something insensitive or rude or manipulative. But still, poor Aristarchus, poor Secundus, they have the charge to be correcting all of the time. And sometimes those people who got their nose out of joint and got their feelings hurt, you know, they didn't feel like respecting them anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As somebody told me, thank you last week for saying what I knew you were going to say. I didn't want to hear it. But down deep, I needed to know the truth. And I put it into practice, and I was so blessed. That person is here today who, who said, now, now listen, your ability to receive admonishment or not is a gauge of your spiritual maturity. Let me show you what I mean. A, a mature person says, hey, let a godly person strike me. It will be kindness. If they correct me, it's soothing medicine. I shall not refuse it. So it's like saying, you know, let a wise person person smack me upside of the head if I'm doing a dumb thing bring it on you're smart God shows you something hey that's wrong that's gonna hurt me ultimately smack me around man I don't want to go down a path that ends with a cliff right so the smart wise person says the only way I can grow is that somebody can see something that I I don't see and correct me and warn me and that person says thank you like the guy who came by my office, thank you for telling me and having the guts to say what was hard for you to say, but necessary. And now I'm blessed, you know. Uh, and then there's the other side. There's the, to, to learn you must love discipline. That word means to be corrected. It is stupid to hate correction, right? That's the softer translation, the regular translation says, he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> now, I, well, that's, that's in all of the translations except the living one. So I picked the living Bible just to soften it just a little bit, <laughs> all right? Because my mama said, don't use the word stupid, but God can. <laughs> Why does he say that? He says, listen, how can you ever grow if you're close to being corrected? That's the way you grow. It's not pleasant, but anyway. And so, summary statement here, love it. He says, just live with peace. Live with peace. Not at any cost, but like, do handle 
this kind of relationship in a way that fosters peace. And he goes on. Now, speaking of peace, peace in the pews would help, 14 and 15. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure nobody is going to do this pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to just about everybody. So now that we... <laughs> oh, oh, no, 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 no. Everybody, not just about everybody, right? <laughs> now that the leaders and the congregation are chill, right? Then he moves down to peace in the pews. Now, you've heard this poem before. I've used it a lot. Um, it's not always easy, right, to deal with people, and uh, it, here's the poem. The, the joy above with those we love, oh, the love and glory. But to deal with those who are below, to deal below with those we know, <laughs> now that's another story. Oh, well, I ruined it. But <laughs> the point is, in heaven, oh, we're going to love each other real good. And uh, on earth, we're going to work at loving each other really good. Amen. Now, so, peace in the pews. Um, I like seeing, now he says, okay, everybody, y'all, this is a y'all brothers, right, and sisters. This is what he's saying. Um, Warn, admonish, there it is, correct. Oh, so it's not just pastor's job, right? Of course not. There's only four of us and 700 of you. We're not in those places that, that call for you to say, hey, whoa, stop that. Uh, that's not the whole story, and that doesn't sound like her. Let's just... Let's just pray about this, uh, okay? Uh, and you lead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, that is so evil in a good way, <laughs> right? Oh, we can't be in the car or, or at the school or at the office where life happens, where you need to say, hey, whoa, hold on a second here, right? One writer put it this way. If it's one impression an unbeliever must take away from a visit from a church, is a sense of love and affection for one another. A cold church where people are at odds with each other is a sure sign of the absence of God's grace and blessing. And so sometimes when there's behavior that's unchecked, you don't have that peace and blessing because everybody's at odds. But everybody has to really uh, take their turn to admonish. Oh, I told you about this woman, and she's probably here today. Young adult, cute story. She got all fired up after a Sunday sermon. She went to In-N-Out with her friends, and she was just telling me, she goes, Pastor Ross, I've never, ever kind of spoken up and, and, and told people, hey, wow, you, you know, I just kind of shine. I just kind of let it happen around me. But she said, so we went to In-N-Out, and I was all inspired right from the sermon. And we're sitting there, and, and, and one of the girlfriends says, hey, this, my boyfriend that I've been dating has invited me to move in together. And you know what? God's got a lot of grace. And in God's eyes, we're kind of married anyway. And, and she goes, all of a sudden, out of my mouth came, that's not right. <laughs> And, and, and she said, whoa, I was like listening to myself so surprised. And then she said, listen, if he wants what only a husband deserves, then he should marry you. Whoa. And then she goes, I was so proud of myself. <laughs> and she said it exactly like that. 
Oh, I, I said, I'm so proud of you because you know what you risk there, don't you? She knows. Oh, they called me a Bible girl. Oh, the Bible girl. Yeah, that's what you get. That's what Secundus gets. Aristarchus gets it all the time. Oh, the Bible boy, the preacher boy, holier than thou. You know, oh, he just doesn't understand. He's just always Bible verse, Bible verse, Bible verse. Oh, yeah, no, 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 God says. Oh, no, you will love and value and respect them even when they do the job I gave them to do and they do it unto me and for your good sake, for your sake, for your welfare, I should say. Yeah, so, you know, praise the Lord. It's hard but not impossible, right? Three quick groups that he addresses here that need special care from the congregation. First, he says, uh, warn the idle, right? So, Oh, that's a weak sauce translation of the word idol. Idol, remember we met them before. They're big trouble. And in 2 Thessalonians, they're bigger trouble because they don't repent. The idol are the ataktoi in Greek. It's a military term for coming out of order, being disruptive, being uh, uh, disheveled and disorganized and, and a mess, causing a lot of problems, Right? So these guys are super spiritual. They said, hey, Jesus is coming. We don't have time to work. They sold everything. And then they're mooching off the congregation. It's the congregation's job to support them because they're busy talking about Jesus everywhere. They they don't have time to work. Well, what about us? They would say, oh, yeah, but God has got a special calling on me. Well, they weren't even ministers. They were just kind of fanatical troublemakers, these idle people. And so he says, admonish them, man. They're socially insensitive. They're lazy. You know, they're on your couch and they're eating your food and they don't know when to leave your house. You know, you drop all the body language hints. You know, you, you come down in your pajamas. That doesn't work. You know, you're brushing your teeth. Whoa, guys, you know, and they're still at the table. You know, he says, warn them. He says, bro, okay, listen. Hey, the press Democrats hiring. You need to get a job. You can stay here one more night. And then I'll drive you down there. I'll help you fill it out. So, so we're not just coming down hard on the attack toy. But you warned them. Well, you've got you've to carry your own weight here, man. You're kind of a drag. You need to be uh, lifting people up. You see, he says, warn them. He says, focus on your life, man. Get your act together. He's not telling everybody how to run the church and how to run their lives and all of that stuff. Just focus on your own life. Secondly, encourage the timid. Love this word for timid. It means the small of soul. It means to be faint-hearted or easily discouraged. People just with a natural timidity. It just, that's their constitution emotionally, right? For whatever reason. And listen to me. God seems to make a distinction between broken and bad behavior. Somebody who's just broken, they've, they've gone through a lot of stuff and they're not even trying to be uh, trouble. They, they just have a lot of problems and issues and, for, and some of it, it's not their doing. God seems to make a difference between that and 
somebody who's intact and has the maturity and the common sense to, to not be a drain and do bad behavior. So here you've got somebody who's broken and he's saying, I don't want you to admonish them. I want you to encourage them and not berate them and tell them, hey, here's a lecture on growing up. You know, we have nothing to fear. You know, First John 4.17 says, perfect love casts out all fear. Come on. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7, have no anxiety about anything. Now, that's not a way to quote a scripture. <laughs> He's saying, don't lecture them. Don't look down on them. And just don't, don't think bad thoughts like, oh, look at, oh, my, come on, get a grip. One writer, love it. Catch the sarcasm. You, who are more mature, are not to look down on these or roll your eyes um, because of their inability to have their life running as smoothly as yours. <laughs> Love this part. Not everyone is together as you are. Ooh. So comfort and care for those who fall apart easily and a lot instead of being irritated and feeling put out. Help the weak. All right, another problem. The weak are weak for a variety of reasons, and God doesn't want you to admonish them. He wants you to help them. That word help is very telling. That word means to cling or to catch, to hold up, to prop them up. Don't look down on them and don't avoid them. The word weak there can mean uh, spiritually, morally, or physically, but really, it, it just has to do with the whole package of the person. They're limping for whatever reason. They're going to need, they got crutches, and they're carrying things, and they can't do both. They'll always need somebody to come and help them. And instead of saying, there they are again, whoa, here they come. I need to go this way, which is very carnal and immature and sinful. You turn toward the person for whom Christ died and admonishes you to help, not hinder them. That means you make your way over there. There they come, an opportunity to serve my Lord and Savior in disguise of this weak, limping Christian who needs a helping hand. Where is the compassion of Christ in a professed Christian's life? Please don't just say that. Oh, yeah, I'm filled with the Spirit. I love the Lord. I've been a Christian for 20 years. And then when somebody needs help that takes five extra minutes of your time, or you're going to have to listen to that same story again, or you're going to have to pray or give them a ride or make sure they're okay or comfort them again, that's your calling. That's what makes an ideal church. Can you imagine if 350 people, every single one of us, were all about helping the weak today? Looking, looking for them. Not hiding from them because they're going to just mess up my schedule. I might have to pray with them. Oh no, it's the end of the world. One writer again, let me quote him. The church is a gathering place for people who trust Jesus. Within her walls, you'll find all sorts of people, heartsick, 
fearful, socially awkward. Those who have been shut out from the world and terribly wounded and abused. And in God's church, they seek refuge. God says they must be welcomed and helped to wholeness with mercy and grace and patience. Amen? Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. So they try to. And who is Christ? The church. So the weak are trying to take Jesus up on his offer, but we're offended or we're bothered or we're irritated because they're of their lameness or their weakness. Get it together, man. Come on. That's not pleasing God. That doesn't happen here. But this is the, 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 the call here in the scriptures. So he rounds it up. He says, just be patient with everyone, even the attack toy. You know, you don't excommunicate them. They're still around in 2 Thessalonians. They're getting ready to be excommunicated, I should say. I mean, if they don't straighten up, he says in 2 Thessalonians about the attack toy, who still are still doing it, don't even eat with them anymore so that they can feel ashamed and come back to their senses. So that's the next step for them who not listen. So it's not just sugar and love and everything like that. It's common sense. But it's done with gentle compassion. There but the grace of God go on. And another thing, one more thing. How are you with God in relationship? What do you put God through? How patient is he with you and your shenanigans? And are, are you just the perfect little together person? And God just says, there they are. They don't need anything. Why even look at them? Because they got it all together, right? Are you like that? Or do you, are you a little bit of work for him? <laughs> Let me answer the question for you. <laughs> You're a little bit of work. <laughs> You're a little bit of, ask your husband or wife. <laughs> you know what I ask couples on, on the love seat in my office when they come? I just say, just answer the question first. Before you start blaming one another. What is it like to be married to me? I want you to ask yourself that. What is it like to be married to me? Paradise is not one of the answers. <laughs> oh, man, that's a hard one. What is it like to be married to you? Yikes. It's not easy to be married to me. Trust me. Is it? <laughs> Honey. This means no. This means yes. All right? <laughs> you can't do both of them. <laughs> I know. Listen, I, we all, they know, all right? They know. Listen, I know you're low maintenance. That's why I married you. I told somebody that. I'm marrying into low maintenance. <laughs> and she... Unfortunately, is marrying into high drama. Listen, I'm just going to tell you right here. Listen. That woman, and this is what I told my friend before I proposed to her. She's sunny and mild. Every day the weather reports the same. Today, we're having sunny and mild weather. Well, how about tomorrow? Sunny and mild. How about at Christmas? Sunny and mild, right? What do you get with me? Oh, my word. No one ever knows until it strikes. <laughs> it's 
also help the weak. <laughs> All right, I think I'm digressing again. Oh, I love that. And make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Uh, and why, is he, why does he say that? Because in a, in a church full of broken people, you're going to get your toes stepped on, right? And so your tendency will be, once your toes are stepped on, to step on others' toes. And he says, don't do that. They're broken. They're weak. They're timid. They're at, at their attack door. They're there. It's going to happen. So the answer is, they didn't invite me. I'm not inviting them to my shower. Oh, yeah. You know what? They excluded me. Guess what? I'm going to exclude them. They talked. Oh, they, ex- they were blowing off steam. I walked into the lobby, and I heard my name, and I walked up there. I caught a little bit of it, and it all went whoosh. And now she's going to pay, right? Excuse me. Have you ever blown off steam about somebody in your life? Because I know you have, right? And why do we have to totally take to task the person that we catch? Blowing off a little steam, we take them to task. But boy, when we do it, oh, we want forgiveness. Oh, well, I didn't mean that. And I wasn't really talking about this. And, you know, where's the grace and forgiveness, okay? Right? And so... He says, the answer to rude behavior is kind behavior. The answer to aggressiveness is a soft answer. The answer to stepping on toes is bringing somebody a lemonade, right? If your enemy is thirsty, if he's hungry, if your enemy, not your broken brother, with whom you shall share eternity with, we're not talking about him, how you should treat that broken brother, We're talking about your enemy who hates you and uses you and would attack you. If he's hungry, won't you be nice to him? What? No, what? A human being can do that. Exactly. That's why I gave you the Holy Spirit. You learn how to cooperate with him and let him show the kindness because kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not in you. So you need to learn to open up and let him flow. Amen? We better finish up. We got a few verses. They fly fast. Don't worry. <laughs> and now, here's what's happening. He's signing off. He has no luxury of, oh, yeah, I forgot. Let me text you. He's not going to send an email afterwards. Oh, I forgot to mention. He can't pick up the phone and say, oh, there was one more thing. So you see it. It's a mad dash of exhortations that he thinks, oh, Okay, oh, don't forget this. Don't forget that. Oh, got to remember this. Because it's going to have to last them. So these seven little, however you count them, uh, staccato, little buckshot exhortations, they're important. We're going to take a look at them under the heading of keep your heart burning bright, your zeal for God. So uh, here we go. Joyful always. This is great. God wants us to always be glad down deep. Now, How is that possible? Step number one, know the difference between happy, English word happy, and Bible happy. There is no word in the Bible for happy, for English happy. English happy comes, very interesting, from happenstance, which means whatever's happening, happening, if it's good, you're happy because of what happened to you, 
right? And if what happened to you is nasty and bad, you are unhappy because of your happenstance. Oh, there's no such word in the Bible. The Bible's word for happy is blessed. And it's tied to eternal realities of God's love and his promises, which are unchanging. So you can have a bad day at work. And you can even have a tragedy. But there could be some kind of joy down deep. Why? Your sins are forgiven. You're going to heaven. You're going to live forever. When it comes your time to die, you're going to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's going to say, well done. Oh, yeah. So what are you telling me? If you start thinking about that, no matter what your circumstances, you could be joyful. And listen, man of sorrows, Jesus, Hebrews chapter 1 says he had more joy than any human being. But he also balanced that he was the man of sorrows. So there's a way to deal with the realities of a broken world and also manifest joy. We got to move faster here. So secondly, pray continually. He doesn't mean always be mumbling your prayers 24-7. What he's saying is keep the lines open. So when you say uh, in your morning time of prayer, which we should have, when you say in Jesus' name, amen, and close your Bible, don't hang up the phone. Don't hang up the phone. You keep it kind of dangling. And you have a spiritual radar where you're listening, you're sensitive. It's kind of like putting something on a back burner and letting it kind of simmer and it fills the house with a, a fragrance. It's kind of in the, the back burner of your conscience, consciousness. You're, you've got the line open. You know what's helped me to pray more? Somebody, I read a blog and it said, every time you think about praying, pray. It's really helping me. Because I think about praying way more than I pray. I'm always thinking, oh, I'm praying about that. Or no, I don't want to pray or pray. So I just stop and start to pray. Even when someone's talking to me, after they've told me the deal, it's, I'm thinking, oh, well, oh, I need to pray about that. Oh, duh. Pray about it right there. And it's, it's, that's what he means. Uh, thirdly, he, he, he says, give thanks, and, and please hear this, in, not for all circumstances. Find a silver lining. You're going to heaven. God is going to work it out for your good. He promised in Romans 8, 28. Is there anything good you could say about, there was a terrible car accident, but somebody was in the back seat, and by the grace of God, they survived. This person is with the Lord, but there is always something in Christ to be able to say, hey, I'm thankful he's coming. There's a new heaven and a new earth. God's people ought to be walking around with thankful, grateful hearts. If anyone on the planet should have a smile on their face and a thankful attitude, how unbecoming of a person who's inheriting eternal life to be miserable and a sourpuss. That's just not right. And he says that. So, so give thanks. It goes on to say, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Well, the Holy Spirit's inside. He's kind of burning bright for God, helping us to burn out the dross and all of that, live for him. Two ways to put out a fire. Want us to throw something quite opposite, like water, on it, right? And so we know how to, and, and the word there is to don't quench. So, so just, so, 
attitudes, sinfulness, what we look at and entertain, the words out of our mouths. You know that feeling of, you all can almost hear it. Like, just, just the flame just kind of got doused a little bit. Now, thankfully, you know, that flame will burn forever, even if it has to smolder uh, its way. The second way is just neglect the flame and it'll die out. Just don't stoke it. Just stop. Just ignore it. Neglect the fire and you're not going to have a bright fire. Our call in the New Testament is keep stoking, keep fanning the flame. That's a, that's a quote from the Bible. And so don't put out the fire. Then he says, verse 20, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Now this takes just a, a brief explanation. The Bible prophets, the office of the prophet and and listen, hear me out until I'm done with this topic before you think you know what I think about prophets today. All right? Amen? Amen. Raise your right hand. Just kidding. <laughs> Bible prophets, the office of the Bible prophet, Old Testament and New. The Bible says God used the prophet to speak his word and to establish the foundation of the church. Here's where it says that. Ephesians chapter two, listen to me. God's church, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, all right? We have a church. At the time of this writing, there were two small house churches in Europe, period. The church was not established. God needed the office of a prophet. They didn't have the Bible. They had some Old Testament scrolls. They had a little bit of Mark, Nothing else. They needed prophets that spoke inerrantly the word of God. Once the church was established, hear me on all the way. Once the church was established and the word of God complete, the canon of scriptures, canon means collection. So once the collection was set and the church established, the office of the Old Testament, New Testament prophet is unnecessary. Now, if we had a New Testament prophet today, you'd have to open the Bible and insert some pages because they're still speaking fresh revelation. You'd have to open the book and add. But the Bible's closed. So their particular job, done. However, does God not speak today? Of course he speaks today. The gifts are in operation. He speaks through giving us wise words from heaven and knowledge that we could never have known other than the Holy Spirit manifesting something of discernment and all these wonderful ways that happen when we don't even know they're happening. You're having lunch with somebody and God just prompts you and you're like, wow, that unlocked a whole problem. That was God speaking prophetically, prophetically, if you want. Now, here's what he's saying. The attack toy, we're prophesying, Jesus is coming on Thursday, the Lord told me. It was causing a lot of problems. So they said, when anybody stood up and said, thus said the Lord, they said, shut up. We're done. We've been humiliated by you. You've abused the privilege of being used by God. So they tossed the whole thing out. And they disdained anybody who said, oh, thus saith the Lord. Well, he says, oh, don't do that. Have the sense to test everything. Well, how could they test things? Number one, by the person, to evaluate the person, right? 
I mean, for a pastor, there are 17 qualifications, but you don't need to fill all of that to speak, but you do have to live the life. So check out the person who's speaking. Is it in line with what the apostles Paul taught us, right? And Peter and Aristarchus and Secundus, right? And Jesus said, you'll know them by their behavior, right? So check the person out, check the teaching out. First John, what does he say? He says, do they believe that Jesus is God? If they say Jesus is not God, throw him out. Because Jesus is the fullness of God in a human body. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Philip, show us the Father God. And he says, how long have I been with you? Still you don't know me. Anyone who's seen me has seen God, the Father. John chapter 14, verse 9. Verse John says, the way you tell if somebody is false or true, ask them one question. Who's Jesus? I was a good man. Keep going. <laughs> I was a wonderful prophet and a great example. Keep going. Oh, is that all you have to say? You're not speaking at this church. Because he is the living God. Or he is nobody. Right? So there were ways to test. This so, and, and then he sums up the whole thing and he says, so hold on to the good. Don't despise them. Let them talk. Test them. Test the doctrine. You know, my advice to you who God uses to help other people as one who, God, who speaks on behalf of God for a living. Let me give you some advice. When you feel God wants you to share something, you could be right or you could be wrong. I mean, unless you're reading the verse, right? You don't have to say, God told me to tell you. My Bible teachers told me this. If it is God, you will not need to preface anything. They will know that this has come from God. Because when you say, God told me to tell you, you're running the risk of being wrong and misrepresenting God Almighty and misdirecting a life. Wow. Don't do that. So you could say, well, where's your faith? <laughs> My faith is in the Lord. <laughs> Not necessarily with your ability to hear all his promptings. And so it would be good to say, hey, check this out. This is what I'm feeling. I prayed and I feel, you know, hey, I want to put this out here and I... Hopefully it's helpful. What's wrong with that? What am I supposed to say when you come to me and say, God told me to tell you? What am I supposed to say to that? Well, you go back and tell God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like our way of saying, gotcha, deal with this. Because God told me. End of sentence. End of story. End of argument. End of conversation. That's not polite. And that's not biblical, I don't believe. And so he's saying, listen, I want you to, and here it is, wrapped up in one thing. I want you to have the discernment to eat the meat and spit out the bones. So I'd step the, he calls it evil. He really means you know, the falsehood, the, the error. But to misrepresent God is evil. So he's saying, I want you to cling, cling to the good. Grab onto it. Don't just say, hey, 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 I got burned. And haven't we been burned? I, I have still cringing pain from people who misused the spiritual gifts 
in a worldly way that caused my family and me great pain. I almost left the ministry because of it. So I have a tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable for a reason. I got wounded and hurt by it. It was terrible. I was a young, young man. I didn't have the ability to open a Bible and say, excuse me, uh, I, I wanted to, <laughs> believe me. I had the attitude, but I didn't have the ability yet to defend the truth. And so I got taken to the cleaners a lot. So I have a tendency to say, hey, I don't want any of that. God's saying, hey, listen, hold on. I speak today. I speak in the congregation. I'm speaking in the lobby in conversations. The gifts are operating. I fully believe that. But they have to operate biblically with wisdom and in order and what's fitting. Amen? Amen. Eat the meat, spit out the bones. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just a great passage. Lots of things to think about. Just want to become more like Christ and a blessing to your people. May we do just that through your grace and enablement. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.